Hello, everybody. Common Sense Christianity here. I hope everybody's doing fantastic. You know, two verses I'd like to get into um, are two verses that Trinitarians love to abuse, twist, and contort to try and fit their false doctrine. One of them is John 10.18, and the other one is John 2.19. And what Trinitarians love to do you know, when they try to destroy the role of the Father, this is the constant destruction of the role of the Father, the Trinity. You know, they make Jesus out to be the creator of the universe. The Father, it's pitched out of that. The Holy Spirit dwells inside believers, and the Holy Spirit is a third person of a Trinity. It's not the Father, so the Father's left out of that. Basically, the Father does nothing. You know, Father might be the source of the power. I mean, whatever. You can't get a Trinitarian to give you an honest answer. Uh, Trinitarians differ from who is the creator, who's doing what, when, which does what, which person does what, you know. It's a complete soup sandwich. And so two verses that they commonly use is John 2.19, where it says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Okay, I will raise it again. So there you go. Jesus is raising himself from the dead, you know, and it says in the Bible, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And the Bible also says the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. So obviously, you know, it's three persons. It's the Trinity that raised Jesus from the dead, right? And then John ten eighteen, where it says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Okay, so these two verses when Jesus says, I have the authority to take it up again and I will raise it again. Boom. Jesus Christ is God Almighty. He raised himself from the dead, right? He's the, third, the second person of the Trinity and he raised himself from the dead. So we have lots of verses in the Bible that specifically say God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And the Bible doesn't contradict itself, right? The Bible never says that Jesus raised himself from the dead with the two other persons of the Trinity, right? So Jesus was speaking to the Jews after, remember, he was, I think he had a whip or something and he was overturning the tables and, and uh, driving the animals out of the temple, basically. This was uh, the first of two times when he happened to do it. And um, this, this was in the beginning of his ministry, and he did it later at the end of his ministry. So he did it in the beginning and he did it in the end. And this event is recorded in other gospels also. So the Jews, we have to remember, they were angry and unbelieving. Remember all the time Jesus was rebuking them. Why don't you understand my speech? It's because your father is of the devil, right? So Jesus was speaking in veiled terms. Sometimes he was using, um, you know, language that wasn't really... They couldn't really figure it out. He had them guessing a lot. He was speaking in parables and in veiled terms. So the gospel of John had to add, you know, John had to add, but he was speaking of the temple of his body, right? John 2.21. So the reader would not be confused over what exactly was happening, right? So Jesus was standing in the actual temple when he said, destroy this temple, Okay, so naturally you would think, whoa, this is this is talking about the temple, right? Where he was standing at the time, but that's not that's not what he was speaking about. He was speaking about the body, right? So the fact that Jesus was speaking in veiled terms to an unbelieving audience has to give us a little bit of hesitation to, you know, we want to build a doctrine on this verse, right? And do we want to add two other persons, right? Especially when other clear instances talk about the Father raising Jesus from the dead. You look at 1 Corinthians 6.14, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. 
Okay, Jesus was not in a teaching situation when he was speaking, right? Basically, everybody was angry and the Jews were against Jesus anyway. And it was common for Jesus to speak in ways that unbelievers didn't understand and didn't grasp, right? He always liked to draw out their anger and get them to stumble, right? So even if you read the Bible, just, just basically, it shows a number of times when Jesus spoke and the unbelievers who heard him, and sometimes even the disciples, were kind of confused by what he said, right? He wanted, he wanted people to get to the meat of the subject. So we know that Jesus was speaking in veiled terms, but what was he talking about? What did he actually mean? Okay, he was referring to the fact that he was going to be responsible for his resurrection. Mm, okay, yeah, he was kind of, right? But you have to remember the language of the times and you have to remember how people thought about what happens when people are actually present. Now, Jesus was responsible to keep himself without spot or blemish, right? And he was to fully obey the will of the Father. So in that sense, he was like any other sacrifice, okay? You had to be a sacrifice. It had to be without spot or blemish. A sacrifice that was blemished was unacceptable to God, to Yahweh, right? Leviticus twenty two seventeen through 20, Malachi 1, 6 through 8. And so this event in John was at the start of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he knew that he had a long road basically ahead of him. And it would be a very difficult task to remain obedient. Can you imagine all that? All the struggles, all the temptation. And so if he turned away from God and didn't like what God said to do, or if he was tempted to the point of sin, his sin would have been a blemish and that would have disqualified him as being the perfect sacrifice, right? He had to be a perfect sacrifice, completely obedient until death. So then if he wasn't the perfect sacrifice, he couldn't have paid for the sins of mankind and there would have been no resurrection, right? There just wouldn't be any point, right? So you have to remember, if you're listening, that Jesus did not go to the temple and turn over the money tables because he just felt like it, okay? John 2.17 shows that he was fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy and the will of God, which he always did, okay? He always fulfilled these prophecies, kind of like Psalm 22 when he was on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was an allusion to the Psalm 22. This drew attention to the Jews. They understood what this passage meant. They kind of drew their attention. Whoa, what's going on here? They recognized that, right? That's why he did that. Um, so, um, if he didn't fill the prophecy in Psalm 69.9, he wouldn't have fulfilled all the law and would have been disqualified again from being able to die for the sins of all mankind. So his destiny was in his own hands and he could say, I will raise it up, right? Okay, another thing to remember when he says, I will raise it up again, you have to, you have to keep in mind that, that the Greek doesn't say raise it up, okay? The Greek is basically... Um, it talks about receiving. So when you take it up, you receive it again, okay? So when you look at the Greek word, a girl, okay, the, it's Strong's 1453, and the words are, I wake, arouse, I rise up, probably akin to the base of agora, to waken, to rouse, okay? So it doesn't say, I will raise it again, or I will raise it up again. It says a girl, and it simply means, I wake arouse, I rise up. So you could also write it, read it as, destroy this temple in three days, I will rise up again, I will wake again, I will rise up. You click on it, Strong's 1453, and it talks about this. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, Matthew 124, okay? Uh, Matthew 213, and he said, get up, arise, have risen, okay? 
Matthew 2.14. So Joseph got up. Uh, the KJV, when he arose, he have it risen. Matthew 2.20, get up, arise, have it risen. Matthew 2.21, so Joseph got up and he arose, he have risen. Skip down to Matthew 8.25, and he woke, and he woke, and they woke. It doesn't say, I will raise it up again, okay? Destroy this temple in three days, and I will wake again. It doesn't say, I will raise it again. That's a huge, huge blunder on the Trinitarian. To be part of something again, you, you, you do it yourself. It's kind of like King David, right? King David stormed the gate, but it didn't actually mean that King David was there and stormed the gate, right? So it's common in the Jewish language and even in our speech that if a person has a vital part of doing something, he's spoken of has does it himself. Like for instance, if um, I invite somebody over and maybe I invite them over to fix my deck, okay? Fix my deck uh, on the house. And maybe he's the expert in this, and I don't know anything maybe about fixing a deck, just speaking hypothetically. And But I have tools, right? And I have tools that he uses, but I don't, I don't even participate in it, right? I might hand him a tool here or there. And so I go over to my friends after all this is done, and he's like, so what have you been up to? And I go, oh, man, I just, just remodeled my deck. Okay, well... I didn't, okay? I didn't remodel my deck at all. My friend did or the person did. I handed him the tools. You know, he can ask me, so do you have a long weekend? He said, yeah, I was, I was busy. I was busy remodeling my deck, but I didn't touch it, okay? Same thing with Jesus. He wasn't raising himself from the dead. He wasn't a second person of a three-person God that raised Jesus from the dead. The Bible is very clear that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, Okay? And so we know that the Roman soldiers crucified Jesus, okay? The gospel says it, and we know that the Jews would not have done it because coming in contact with Jesus would have made them unclean, okay? A lot of people forget this. Yet Peter said to the rulers of the Jews, you crucified the Lord, okay? Acts 5.30. Everyone understands that the Jews played a vital part in this, right? He, they played a vital part in the crucifixion. So there really is a sense that they crucified. Ultimately, they were responsible for his death, right? But they didn't actually crucify him, okay? They didn't themselves do not, they didn't, the, they didn't do the dirty work, basically, okay? So if you look at, um, in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel 5 and 1 Chronicles 11, David and his men were attacking the, the city, Jerusalem, okay? And um, the record is very clear that David has sent his men ahead into the city to fight, and even offered the general uh, general's position to the first one in the city, basically, right? But the record says David captured the stronghold of Zion. And so we know why, because David played a vital role in the capture of Jerusalem. Just like if I say, um, you know, Joe Biden's president, for example, and Joe Biden ordered these people to bomb the city, okay? Joe Biden orders these people to bomb the city and he sends out his, his soldiers or whatever. And it says Joe Biden bombed the city. Okay. But Joe Biden didn't bomb the city. Literally his soldiers did. Okay. This is the same way. Uh, just like in King David, when he played a vital role in the capture of Jerusalem. And so scripture says he captured it, but he did, didn't right? Same type of wordings also common in the Bible and all languages, the wording, you know, Jesus used, he would raise his body. He would play a vital part in it being raised. Okay. He's going to actually get up. And again, look at the Greek. It simply means to rise up. I will wake to arouse, get up. So Christ knew that by his thoughts and actions, he could guarantee his own resurrection by being sinlessly obedient to death, right? 
This made it legally possible for God to keep his promise of resurrecting Christ, who was without sin and therefore did not deserve death, the wages of sin. Okay, the same thing goes over to, you know, this is John 2, 19, but you can also go over to, again, um, John 10, 18, okay? No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father, okay? Trinitarians will zoom zoom in on, and I have the authority to take it up again. So I have the authority to basically take up my life again, to raise myself from the dead, I have the authority to raise myself from the dead, right? Again, you have to look at the the Greek word on this. And um, the same thing is applied to um, the same thing is applied to this verse. And I'm just gonna pull up the um, the verse here and look at it in the Greek. You can look at it in the Greek, it says right here. Um, let's see here. Teen, teen. It says the Greek word is, and authority to take it up again. To take it up means labayan. Strong's 2983. I receive, get, I take, lay a hold. So to take it up again means to receive it again, okay? In order to take something, you have to receive it. So I hand you something, you take it, right? Uh, 2953, not 2983, the two instances that's used, the two instances in the concordance that's used is receive, Matthew 27, that shall ye receive. Matthew 23, 14, ye shall receive. Because of this, you shall receive, okay? This is the word that is used for Matthew 20, or John 10, 18, where it says, I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. To take it up again means to receive. And I think if we go through all these translations here, authority to take it again, authority to take it again, um, take it again. Uh, and not, not only that, but you don't need authority for God, okay? Can you imagine that? God Almighty needing authority to uh, take it up again, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just insanity. Um, so I have the right to take, give it and a right to take it back, right to take it back, right to take it back. So again, the word is, um, it's related to receiving again. He's given authority to receive his life, you know, on the cross, Jesus cried with loud crying and tears to the one who could save him from death and was heard from his godly fear. Okay, you don't cry loud crying and wailing and tears if you already know that you're going to be instrumental in raising yourself from the dead. Okay, if I knew for a fact that I would be raising myself from the dead, I wouldn't cry with loud crying and tears on the cross to the one who could save him from death, not to the Trinity, not to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or not to himself in this second and third person, or, you know, whatever, to the one who sat on the throne, and that's the Father, okay? Satan loves to destroy the Father. Again, it, the, the Bible is very clear that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, who you killed by hanging on a tree, okay? Not one time did it say, and the triune God raised Jesus from the dead, or Jesus was instrumental in raising himself from the dead along with the other two persons of the Trinity, okay? You know, this is the thing with Trinitarians is they're so desperate because they have to try to get the Trinity equal exposure, right? You have one person do this. Oh, well, we got to kind of squeeze it in where the other two people do this also because we can't have unfairness now, right? We can't have unfairness. They can't be, they can't, one of them, we can't treat one of them better than the other. No, 
Okay, God the Father is the creator alone. Okay, they tried to take away from the Father, make Jesus out to be the creator. Jesus raising himself from the dead. What kind of insanity is this? Okay, it doesn't say that. So again, if we look at the word, lay it down. This is John 10, 18. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up. Labayan, okay. Strong's 2983A. I receive, get, B. I take, lay a hold. Again, click on it. It simply means that I will receive it again. Destroy this temple in three days. I will receive it again. I have the authority to lay it down. And they have the authority. I have the authority to receive it again. God the Father gave Jesus the authority and the ability to be raised from the dead. It doesn't have anything to do, again, with raising himself from the dead. Take it up, Strong's 2983. The only two times, again, that it's used is receive, okay? Nobody's taken it physically. You know, it's figurative that he's going to receive it again, and by thus, he will be taking it up again. So I hope this has been uh, a blessing for you. I hope it's been edifying. You have to really watch what Trinitarians use as far as scripture, because if you're not grounded in it, it can be easily uh, twisted and bent and have you go into a different direction. Um, every instance you will find when a Trinitarian tries to use something, it's not, it's not what they say, okay? They will use arguments. That's, that's the work of Satan. They will use arguments, but they don't speak fairly. They don't speak clearly and they don't speak truthfully, okay? Anybody worth their salt would take a look at this and go, wow, this is bad. You know, this is bad for what I believe and maybe think about it. What Trinitarians do is they're so used to getting their way that their hearts have become hardened, you know, and you, at that point, you just let God work on them and pray for them. But yeah, you can see right here that these two pieces of scripture are absolutely not what Trinitarians say. You have to really look at the words, okay? Just because a translator puts a word down, you got to find out what it means. And that's very important. Um, there's a reason why God and Jesus are separated throughout the entire Bible, all the way through Revelation. God the Father, you know, gave Jesus the revelation, okay? God does not need to be given a revelation. And the angels say the one who sits on the throne, they're not talking about Jesus, is the creator of all things and is their Lord and God. Not you, Jesus, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or, you know, this. They said you created uh, everything. You, one person, okay? So I hope this has been uh, enjoyable for you. And um, until next time, God bless you, brothers and sisters. Take care now.